Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good day, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Smart Center's REIT Q2 2020 conference call. I would like to introduce Peter Ford. Please go ahead. Thank you. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Smart Center's Q2 2020 conference call. I'm Peter Ford, President and CEO, and joining me on the call today are Mitch Goldhar, our Executive Chairman, Peter Sweeney, Chief Financial Officer, and Rudy Gobin, EVP Portfolio Management and Investments. The agenda for the call will begin with comments by myself and Mitch, followed by Peter Sweeney, who will talk about our results for the quarter end, including IFRS valuations, liquidity and accounting provisions for bad debts. And then we will take your questions. Our comments will mostly refer to the first 14 pages and pages 22 to 24 of our supplemental information package and the outlook and mixed-use development sections of our MDNA, which are posted on our website. And I refer you specifically to the cautionary languages, language on pages 2 and 3 of the supplemental material, which also applies to any comments of any of the speakers make this afternoon. The second quarter was no doubt an interesting one for all of us. The spread of the pandemic and the accompanying shutdown impacted every one of us to varying degrees. Our REIT was no different. The pandemic added some challenges in the short term, but our focus remained on our long-term strategy. We were intensely focused on our initiatives to grow the business through mixed-use development. Short-term challenges required our attention in assisting our tenants and keeping our shopping centers open and operating effectively to take care of the more than 60% of our tenants, which are considered essential services that remained open during the shutdown. These tenants were a priority as they were meeting food and other essential needs of communities. Our attention has not waned and continues to be assisting our retailers in getting back to opening their stores once the lockdowns were lifted such that more than 95% of our retail space is now open and operating. At the same time, we formed a committee, which I headed up, that monitored and ensured a safe work environment for our employees. Initially, we limited in-office staff to approximately 10%, or about 30 associates, taking care of our essential service business, with the rest working almost immediately and very effectively from home, thanks to our IT department and systems. We have spent considerable time and money to enhance all our physical distancing, health and cleaning practices in accordance with government guidelines, such that we now have approximately 50% or about 180 of our employees back in our three offices, allowing for a return to more effective communication and collaboration. We are also very fortunate to have our main Vaughan office located in a two-story former retail building with very high ceilings and no elevator pinch point, but rather escalators to get everyone up and down easily while maintaining physical distancing. 
In fact, after we were ready for employees to return to the office, we engaged an outside firm with 10 plus years experience in assessing companies' preparedness for emergencies and things like a pandemic. And I'm happy to say that we passed with flying colors, a score of 98 out of 100. And the conclusion was that smart centers had demonstrated their prioritization for the health and well-being of their associates. All the way through the shutdown, we remained very focused on our longer-term strategy of development. 30 years ago, Mitch was in real estate development, not in the shopping center business, but he saw an opportunity, and the vision was to build retail centers specifically tailored to all Canadian incomes. To to ensure success, he would anchor them with the world's largest discounter, Walmart, who had not yet expanded internationally. Executing on such a vision involved a lot of steps, to say the least, as well as building an operating company around it. The culture of our company is unique in that we are land people operating shopping centers. We are and always have been comfortable with land, its possibilities, and its path to profit. This is our core competency. It is in this moment and the foreseeable future that our core competency will differentiate us as we work on the new path, intensifying and repositioning many of our strategically located properties. Another way of saying this, we are a real estate development company that owns many great shopping centers with substantial and reliable recurring income, most of which we developed. But these great shopping centers, with their outstanding access on or near highways, transit visibility, and most importantly, in the midst of growing populations, are just a starting point to the development of higher and better uses in many cases, in many cases residential. And many investors and some analysts are not acknowledging or giving the proper due for this development that is now here to stay. And that's an appropriate time for me to turn it over to Mitch. Thanks, Peter. Yes, um, we went on the offensive, and we're accelerating, not decelerating, the processes of obtaining rezonings and site plan approvals. Because it is those approvals, those land use changes, from which the value and the opportunity is created. This is strategic. This is our choice. Because with the lasting relationships we have forged over the last 30 years with many Canadian municipalities, and as well, the the municipality's responsiveness to move things forward, this approach is already paying off. For example, VMC was originally planned to be a shopping center, and this will continue to pay off. At the bottom of page 20 and all of page 21 of the MDNA, there's a list of examples of the very active residential and other development applications that were submitted by our in-house development teams during the COVID shutdown or have been working on by those teams such that the applications will be submitted in the next one or two months. Look at the list on these pages carefully. Go to these properties. Go to one of these properties before you write your next report. These are the initiatives 
not the ones already under construction that we will review in a minute. Many very exciting projects and mostly forms of residential. Significant value creation, not recognized in our IFRS balance sheet values, will result will result from these will result from these. The list on that page and a half encompasses in excess of forty million square feet, which is more than our current square footage of additional density. Some built on undeveloped land, some on top of existing retail, replacing it, and some um, um, uh, some some replacing existing retail. This is for the make. This will be for the making of a dynamic, vibrant, and welcoming mixed-use property. Of course, that is not all. For example, many of the future phases of the VMC are not included in that number. Let's look at one example of value created: West Side Mall on Eglinton at Caledonia in Toronto. It is currently a 140,000-foot shopping center. Our planning entitlements are for up to 3 million square feet of residential density, and we are surrounded by the brand-new LRT station, which is, in fact, right in front of the property, and a GO transit station on the side. The land, once fully zoned, would be very conservatively valued at at least $150 million, approximately $100 million above our, ISO, our IFRS balance sheet value. And that excludes profits to be earned from condos or other initiatives that we may build on site. This $100 million on one site represents more than double the loss in value of any actual or anticipated CCAA or bankruptcies in our company. Now let's talk about the new development initiatives already under construction. Over the last several years, we have pointed out to the investment community that it is part of our culture to deliver on what we say we will deliver. This was true for the first two office towers at Smart VMC, where we delivered what we said, 100% occupied with strong tenants in a downtown quality tower and brought in under budget. That is the KPM's G Tower and the PWC Tower. And now we have delivered and opened the 177-unit residential rental tower in Laval, Quebec, and on the first of our 10 smart stuff self-storage developments that we've announced, this one, the first one being in Leaside in Toronto. And now, literally starting yesterday, we have commenced closings of the first condominium units in the smart VMC Transit City Tower 1 and 2, two 55-story towers, 56 units closed yesterday. Between now and December 31st of this year, we expect to close all 1,110 units in those two towers, generating approximately $50 million in profit, approximately $0.28 cents of FFO 
for the trust 25% in this project. This will be followed in the spring and summer of next year with the closings of 631 units in Transit City 3, generating a further $20 million of profit. For the three towers combined, we are not only meeting but exceeding our original planned profit by, we are, we are exceeding our original planned profit by $30 million. But who's counting? Nobody, apparently. Other specific project highlights, we have two additional towers at Transit City, Transit City Tower 4 and 5, 100, I'm sorry, 1,026 units, which are sold out. They're under construction, and just recently we have started receiving the additional deposit, which brings us to 20% from, uh, from, from, the, from, from the sold out tower, towers. We are nicely set up for the recurring flow of condominium cash flow and from this and other projects. Smart BMC purpose-built residential rental of 451 units is under construction. In Smart BMC, the construction of the new 140,000 square foot Walmart store is almost complete with opening expected at the end of October, allowing for the closing of the existing store on the Smart BMC site and freeing up extremely valuable land for future residential density. Under the heading of self-storage, there are three others under construction, Vaughan, Brampton, and Oshawa, and six others in the process of obtaining municipal approvals. Seniors, residents, and first let me clarify, with all the troubling COVID information that is in the news related to seniors, almost all the tragic news relates to long-term care facilities a business we are not in. With our two partners, we are developing seniors' apartments and seniors' residence, six with Rivera, two with Group Selection. All of these projects are in the municipal approval stage, trending positively towards approvals. A few general reminders about our development pipeline and capabilities. Most of our development initiatives we are planning are on lands we already own. We are unlocking value, supplemented by selective acquisitions with existing or new strategic party partners when a unique opportunity arises. We use our in-house development team to drive these initiatives. I am personally involved in all aspects of the development of the developments from the conceiving of the plan through to the selection of materials. Remember, this in-house development team developed over 85% of our current space. We know these markets, the municipalities, and every detail about the properties. This team was actively engaged from home using our technologies to connect seamlessly to our office and the municipalities, which are also set up to operate remotely. This was a natural for us. We have developed through turbulent times before, both as a private company and as a public company. Empires are built in turbulent times, not heady times. 
As a general reminder, across our portfolio of properties, virtually none of the additional land associated with um, land value associated with as of right residential densities or our potential densities reflected in our property IFRS values. And when we present development project yields or profits from condo projects, land is included in the cost side of the equation at an estimated market price and all internal fees and capitalized costs are included in costs, which may be a conservative way to present these development yields. After hearing all of this and reading the development initiative selection of our MDNA, you can see that the pandemic did not slow us down. To the contrary, we accelerated our transition. Our response to COVID-19 is to push even harder. And we believe our current unit price is not reflected in the value of this potential. We believe our unit price does not even fairly reflect the strength of our current income, let alone the value of any of the development initiatives. Note that we will only move forward with the more capital-intensive construction stage of these initiatives as market conditions warrant sufficient pre-sales occur in the case of condos and adequate financing is available. The last development-related comment relates to the disconnect between our unit price and the under-construction mixed-use, um, I'm sorry, um, and the planned mixed-use value creation underway, not to mention the strength, of course, of the existing retail portfolio. If our unit price is down, say, one-third from its pre-COVID levels. That would be akin to the markets believing that one-third of our retail portfolio is going to permanently generate no income. The absurdity of this goes even further, as that evaluation ignores the mixed-use opportunities already underway and our undeveloped lands and the opportunities to create substantial value in place of any such vacancy by replacing the vacant retail with our mixed-use initiatives. I'll turn it back to Peter. Okay, thanks. The, the financial results for the second quarter and to a lesser extent for the balance of 2020 are being impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Our priority during this period of uncertainty is to protect our employees, the communities we serve, our tenants, and our business while doing everything possible to mitigate the financial implications. Our shopping center portfolio is 97.8% leased at June 30th and remains focused on essential services and value-oriented retail, not fashion, recreational, or entertainment retail. It is well-suited for these turbulent conditions. 60% based on revenue, of the REIT's tenant base is comprised of essential services, which continue to operate throughout the crisis, supporting local communities meeting the everyday needs of residents for groceries, pharmaceuticals, banking, liquor, general merchandise, and other essentials. And this 60% of our tenant base being essential services 
increases to 70% for the markets outside of the greater Vectum areas. We have shopping centers in these markets, where our centers are often the essential service hub of the area. With the pandemic and the lockdowns, early indications are that demand for housing and therefore shopping in these less urban markets is actually increasing as people consider leaving the urban areas for the suburbs. Walmart, which anchors 75% of our properties and representing over 25% of our rental income, along with our family of value-oriented focused tenants, are well-suited to serving its community during this period of pandemic-induced weaker economic conditions. In fact, you likely saw the announcement of Walmart Canada's plans to spend $3.5 billion over the next five years to make the online and in-store shopping experience simpler, faster, and more convenient. It includes renovating 150 of its, 150 of its stores over the next three years and expanding the full Walmart pickup offering to 270 stores, which is about 70% of its locations. By the end of this year, that will be in place. This continued commitment to its retail operations in Canada speaks to the ongoing strength of Walmart and its growing ability to drive traffic to our centers. Although we do not yet know all the specific locations, many of the stores in both initiatives will be ours, given that we own more than 28% of the Walmart-anchored shopping centers in Canada. In addition, we are fortunate to have under construction in Vaughan as part of the Smart VMC store relocation, a 10,000-square-foot e-commerce mini-fulfillment center and drive-through pickup facility. It opens at the end of October and, the, and is the first of its kind in Canada. 98% of our revenues from shopping centers are open-format outdoor centers, enabling customers to practice physical distancing while completing shopping for their everyday needs. It appears that shoppers are much more comfortable and feeling safer in this unenclosed format. And the strength of the covenants uh, of our tenants is reflected in, the in, the, in our stable tenant base, Walmart, Loblaws, Shoppers Drug Mart, Canadian Tire, Sobeys, Dollar M, Rexall, LCBO, Lowe's, Metro, Home Depot, and the five major banks, and more. We recognize the importance of small independent retailers to the Canadian economy. Our rent relief focus to date has been on supporting these non-essential business small independent retailers, representing approximately 6% of our contracted rent. The federal and provincial governments put in place the, Can the Canada Emergency Commercial Rent Assistance, or SECRA, program, designed to assist, assist certain tenants such that effectively the tenant bears 25% of the cost, the landlord 25%, and the government 50%. The program originally applied to April, May, and June, then extended to July, and as of last Friday, now to August. Initially, there were potentially more than 1,200 tenants that might have qualified, but after communicating with the tenants, we are now working with approximately 850 who indicate they qualify. It is a complex process administered by us, the landlord, and with an internal team of approximately 40 of our associates engaged in this process, we ha will have all the applications in before the end of August.
In the meantime, some of our non-essential, medium, and larger tenants have also asked for some rent relief or have just not met their rent obligations. While protecting our legal rights as a landlord, we are in discussions with some of these tenants about rent deferrals or, in a few limited cases, rent abatement. We expect to be able to find ways to accommodate tenants with a real need, when appropriate and justified, but also factoring in the reality of our own situation. There have been announcements of several tenant restructurings during the COVID period, either through CCAA or bankruptcy filings, including a couple this week, major names such as Moore's, Comark, Sale, Reitman's, and Aldo. Collectively, all such tenants have indicated the intention to close 42 units in our shopping centres, approximately 319,000 square feet, which is less than one quarter of the total units we have with these same tenants, and representing 1.24% of gross annual in- of our gross annual income. It is, is expected that the remaining units will continue to operate once the relevant restructuring process is complete for each retailer. Overall, it would appear that our shopping centers are preferred options for the surviving stores. Approximately one half of the 319,000 square feet that I mentioned is two sale units, one in Etobicoke near Sherway Gardens and the other in Vaughan, which is our 407 redevelopment site. Discussions with other retailers for Etobicoke are underway and the Vaughan location departure may serve only to alter the sequencing of the mixed-use redevelopment plans already underway for this project. So if you back those, if you back those out, like if you back the sale units out, we are left with 173,000 square feet of vacancy from all these COVID-related bankruptcy, a fairly routine amount for our leasing team who has commenced discussion with potential tenants for, uh, of other of these smaller vacated units. As shown on page 10 of our MDNA, cash recoveries from our tenants continues to improve. In our first quarter reporting, we indicated cash recoveries for the month of April of 67% or 69% excluding the two outlet centers. For the month of April, we've now collected 74% or 76.5% excluding the two outlet centers of gross billings for the month of April, an improvement of 7% over where we were when we last reported. Gross billings collected improved from an average of 74.1% for the three months ended June 30th, or 76.1% excluding the two outlet centers, to almost 85% for the month of July, or 87% excluding the two outlet centers. And to avoid any confusion, gross billings used in these calculations are based on pre-COVID rent rolls. These amounts do not reflect any anticipated recoveries from governments or tenant deferral programs related to those months. With recoveries from government and the tenants through SECRA, scheduled repayments of amounts deferred with other non-SECRA tenants, and ongoing collection efforts with the remainder we expect to ultimately collect 91 or 92% of our second quarter gross billings 
and 94 to 96% of July's rent. This is expected to improve in later months of the year. And one last thing I'm going to mention, which is a factor coming into play in this COVID environment, is our experience with Penguin Pickup. Five years ago, we partnered with Penguin Pickup, now a mature operating business that provides customers with more than just the curbside pickup that everyone is trying to do now. But Penguin Pickup provides a one-stop pickup location for shoppers, online purchasers, purchases from all sources with a rapidly expanding network of over 100 locations across Canada. Two years ago, Smart Centre supported Walmart Canada's test and rollout of grocery pickup in its stores at our properties and introduced co-branded Walmart Canada Penguin Pickup locations to help expand their reach into areas of downtown Toronto and Montreal, where access to their grocery offering is limited. With COVID-19 and the customer desire for safe, contactless shopping, our foresight and experience with the above-mentioned initiatives has proven to be extremely valuable, and we are using our five years of last-mile logistic learnings to help more of our retailers establish a curbside pickup option as a natural evolution of Canadian shopping habits. And now I'll turn it over to Peter Sweeney. Thank you, Peter, and good afternoon, everyone. As we know, these challenging times will test the balance sheets of many real estate companies. However, for many years now, we have encouraged the capital markets to focus on our commitment to our balance sheet. Our unyielding focus on conservative capital management, our discipline in the deployment of capital on acquisitions and developments, and our continued desire to match gearing and similar debt levels to the long-term nature of our assets. This strategic focus on long-term viability and growth will continue to allow us to manage through this period of uncertainty. In this regard, we note the following highlights relative to the comparable quarter last year. Number one, our unencumbered pool of assets of $5.6 billion has increased by $1.1 billion, or 24%. Number two, our debt-to-aggregate asset ratio was a conservative 44.5%. Number three, our weighted average interest rate for all debt was 3.46% as compared to 3.69%, which, when coupled with our improved credit rating, permits us to continue to attract debt capital at historically low rates for longer terms. Number four, our interest coverage ratio was maintained at 3.8 times and our adjusted debt to adjusted EBITDA multiple was 8.8 times. Each of these metrics reflecting uh, our business is strong and very stable ability to fund our obligations even during these most uncertain times. And then lastly, number five, as a result of these continued strong credit metrics that reflect our ongoing commitment to the balance sheet, together with our upgraded credit rating from DBRS to triple B high, we took the preemptive opportunity in May to issue $600 million of new seven and ten and a half year debentures 
at 3.19% and 3.65% respectively, the proceeds of which are expected to be used primarily to repay existing debt. Recall that when we embarked upon the strategic initiative to increase our unencumbered pool of assets over two years ago, approximately two-thirds of our debt at that time was sourced from secured lenders, a metric that has now almost reversed, whereby currently 65% of our debt is now sourced from the unsecured market, and assuming that credit markets continue to accommodate our needs, this metric is expected to further improve in the future. From a liquidity perspective, as we look to the immediate future and plan to manage through the current environment, in addition to the conservative debt metrics noted above, please also consider the following. Number one, we have only $70 million in mortgages maturing in the third and fourth quarters of this year and $250 million in unsecured debt that comes due in December of this year. And we continue to speak with market participants concerning appropriate repayment alternatives associated with these maturing amounts. Number two, with the proceeds from the recent bond issue noted previously, coupled with our $500 million line of credit, we have ample liquidity when and if needed during this period. And this is in addition to a $250 million accordion feature on our line of credit that is also available to us. Number three, we continue to deploy a strategy that permits construction of any large development project to begin when it has appropriate project financing in place to ensure project completion at our various development projects. And we are presently speaking with lenders concerning construction financing alternatives for several of our proposed developments that are expected to begin later this year. And then lastly, number four, the closings of the first two phases of the Transit City Phase 1 and 2 condos have now begun from which we expect to generate in excess of $50 million of net proceeds that will be earned and paid prior to year's end, thus further fortifying our liquidity profile in both 2020 and into 2021. As Peter has previously mentioned, we made various COVID-related provisions in the second quarter. These anomalous provisions totaled $15 million and are represented or considered distinct as follows. Number one, for those SECRA-eligible tenants, we have provided $5.6 million as amounts that we are compelled to provide as part of the current federal program. Number two, for those tenants that are not SECRA-eligible, we have provided $1.4 million. Number three, for those tenants that have filed under CCAA or similar bankruptcy restructurings, we have provided $2.3 million. And then lastly, number four, we recorded additional conservative provisions aggregating $5.8 million for other expected credit losses emanating from the current environment. The additional vacant space and the additional time now expected to backfill such space has had an impact on our IFRS property valuations. During the quarter, 
we recorded an additional $197 million in provisions against our portfolio's value. This is in addition to $63 million taken during the first quarter. These reductions in value primarily reflect additional vacant space and the additional time now expected to backfill such space in the portfolio, much of which is a result of the COVID-19 experience. It is very important to note that we have not factored into our IFRS values any value that accrues from future development of mixed-use space and these future value increments that are derived from our proposed mixed-use initiatives are substantial. As mentioned earlier by Mitch, the potential for incremental value from future mixed-use development once fully zoned and site plan approved at our Westside Mall property in Toronto alone is projected to add in excess of $100 million to this property's current IFRS value. And as we mentioned, this represents only one property in a portfolio of 166 properties that provide for further mixed-use development of various forms, none of which has been reflected in the current IFRS values. And finally, a comment on distributions. Our current annual distribution level is $1.85 per unit. And based on our current trading price, this distribution represents an approximate 9% yield on our units, which is approximately 8.5% above the current 10-year Government of Canada risk-free rate of return. This spread is extraordinarily higher than we have experienced or would expect. Decisions on distributions are always made by our board, and given the liquidity, strength of the balance sheet, and near-term prospects for cash flow generation, management continues to recommend the current distribution levels. And with that, I will turn the call back over to Peter. Okay, thanks, Peter. So to sum it up, a very interesting quarter. A rapidly improving rent collection picture, an accelerated intensification and development program, and commencement of condo closings yesterday at Transit City 1 and 2 and Vaughan for the first of the 1,110 closings to happen by December 31st to generate a $50 million profit for our REIT's interest in the project. And with that, I'll turn it back to the operator to coordinate us in addressing your questions. Ladies and gentlemen on the line, if you'd like to queue up to ask a question at this time, please dial 01 on your phone's keypad. If ever you wish to withdraw from the question queue, please dial pound. So again, if you'd like to ask a question, please dial 01 now. We already have one question queued up. Uh, this one from Pammy Beer. Uh, please go ahead, Patty. Thanks, and uh, good afternoon. Um, just yeah, as you look at some of the potential vacancies coming up from bankruptcies or otherwise, can you maybe just comment on the interest that you've seen from tenants in, in backfilling that space, and, and how do the rents compare with what prior tenants were paying? Um, there's not a lot of interest right now in new uh, you know, tenants taking new spaces, although um, it's not a, you know, it's not expected, you know, it's not, ex we, do, we, do, we don't expect the interest in, 
you know, in June and you know, in July, in the middle of the pandemic, that, uh, that tenants who aren't even, you know, many tenants who aren't even open or just opening to even have the, you know, the 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 time energy to to do that but yeah the food stores that we've already we were already in negotiations with we're now directing some of those you know discussions towards some of the vacancy um which is you know proving to be interesting to them um there are there is the odd you know natural discussion with some of the stronger retailers rudy maybe you want to illuminate on that uh, but none of this is concerning to us whatsoever, as we've already stated, but I'm just answering your question, you know, literally, but, um, you know, right at this moment in time. But, Rudy, maybe you want to illuminate on something? Sure. The, you know, we, we started looking at doing this many quarters ago. We talked about some of the smaller fashion and apparel that were moving into malls at that time, and we were already looking at you know, more service-oriented tight tenants, and we are continuing to do that with the dollar stores, with the pet stores, the liquor stores, healthcare, um, shoppers, Rexall, drug stores, uh, for sure food stores are high on our priority list, and we're do, having lots of discussion with them. We started talking with medical, with labs, um, and, and, and of course daycare, and many other service-type uh, uh, tenants. So there is, in fact, a lot of interest for tenants who are in those fields that are calling us and, in fact, asking us about vacancy in our um, in our centers. So, um, so the the conversations are very very live. Uh, thanks. And just you know, as we look over, you know, maybe the next twelve months or so, and I, I get it. It's still uh, you know, it's still a, there's still a lot of moving parts with um, you know what we've seen in, in retail overall. But um, do you have a sense of where? Um, what you're thinking about in terms of our occupancy may bottom out uh, over, you know, over the call of the next six to 12 months or so. Yeah, the, yeah, the, we looked at, we've, we've looked at the tendencies that have already um, uh, told us and we have been talking to all of our tenants and you can imagine that our relationships with every tenant has gotten even stronger as we talk to them about what's gone on in Q2 and they're all very open and sharing with what's going on in Q3 and Q4. Um, we don't see much of a change downwards. There is some downward movement um, in terms of occupancy um, in, you know, in the range of maybe another percent or so. Um, but that's about it that we're seeing in terms of uh, tenants uh, leaving, and that's not with tenants being netted out with who we're talking to. So maybe a percent, a percent and a half over the course of the next quarter or two, um, but that will be about it, Penny, in terms of what we're seeing now. Thanks for that. Um, just switching gears, uh, last one for me. You know, just coming back to Westside Mall and you know the potential upside from zoning there. Um, you know, what what is your sense of the time required uh, for full zoning approval, zoning approval on, on that site, and or is that really going to be done in phases over time? Well, it's already designated, which is the most important. So, like in terms of <clears throat> in Ontario, uh, the way these things are are zoned, so to speak, uh, using the word loosely, is it's designated in the official plan. So, we are already designated. So, conceivably, you know, if we were sellers of a property, that would be, you know, there would be there would be and there is a lineup from 
you know, residential, other residential developers uh, to, to buy that site. But, yeah, 3 million square feet. I mean, if you look at Transit City, um, you know, we built uh, three 55-story towers at once. That's about a million and a half square feet. Took us, you know, three and a half years, let's say. So, you know, it's it's in the middle of the city with transit into the, at the front door and side door, actually. You know, probably that'll all get built out over six years commencing, hopefully sometime in the next, um, you know, the next uh, year or two. It's hard to say because we are now implementing the zoning bylaw from the official plan. So we have to go through a process, um, which gets into nitty-gritty details of, phasing and things like you're asking about. So that'll take a year or two and then we'll uh we'll we'll get, we'll we'll be under construction. Great. I will uh I'll turn it back. Thanks very much. Uh thank you, Pammy. Uh, we don't currently have any com any more questions in the queue. Uh, as a reminder folks, if you'd like to ask a question, please dial zero one on your phone's keypad. Okay, we have a question here from uh, Mike uh, Markitis. Uh, please go ahead, Mike. Hi, thanks. Um, just a couple of quick ones here. Um, first up on Secret, just given that the applications are still being processed, should we take that to mean that um, for next quarter, it'll be the full uh, five months that tenants are eligible, so we'll see a two-month impact? Peter, maybe, I guess? I think there'll be a one-month impact each of those months, right, in July, um, and then in August as well, and um, potentially less impact for the month of August um, than we will, we will see for April, May, June, and July. Um, but, um, and that amount, Rudy, is approximately how much is the, 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 the 25%? Yeah, the 25%. Uh, be about 1.1, 1 1.2 1 per month. So for a month or a month and a half, that would be, you know, somewhere between 18, 1.8 million and 2 million, let's say, for that quarter. Okay, so so not all tenants uh, applying will get the full five months of the program. Some will get a lesser amount. Uh, four Correct. Months. Okay, gotcha. Correct. Okay, and then um, just curious, you mentioned that, um, you know, not to draw attention to the, the downtime of sale, but... Um, and Rudy, I think you alluded to this in terms of the types of tenants you're speaking to, generally speaking, across your portfolio. But the um, the sale at Tobacco Space, I was just curious, it's big box, um, in a heavily retailed node, curious what sort of uh, demand to backfill that space you're seeing, whether it's a single user or multiple tenants. Well, that's really interesting because we have gotten calls, unsolicited calls, even though we were making some for that space. Um, we have received calls um, from tenants in the enclosed mall asking to leave the enclosed mall, um, and that's not um, just for that one location, um, because as you can imagine, there's just a little bit of fear out there about being in enclosed malls and the current environment percolating for a while yet, and how long. Um, but for that kind of space, we're also looking at um, you know, big food stores, um, that would be interested in that kind of space. That node is, as you know, is highly popular, so we're not um, anticipating a lengthy uh, uh, downtime for that, but um, for sure the 
the food stores and the sort of the centric for that area, given that it's it's, it's South Etobicoke and what would be in the Sherway. Um, and there were some tenants that were already in that enclosed mall that were that were moved over to our shopping center, if you recall, not uh, not that long ago in the last few years. So we see more of that happening as well. And then for the other, Mike, for the other sale location, which is here in Vaughan, um, you know, we that's a project that we've discussed before at 407, where we're um, planning to do significant residential. And I think what could happen is it may, if sale is leaving, it may just alter the order in which we'll build uh, residential on that site, meaning it may uh, change our plan and do it more towards that end of the site. So um, I don't think, other than perhaps a short-term backfill for um, someone to use that space as retail space, our, our plan there would be to switch to our intensification program there right away. Yeah, and it's, okay. and it's one less retailer to deal with in terms of achieving our, uh, our redevelopment goals. Yeah, well, Mitch, I actually remember being on a uh, property tour when we drove around that site, and you specifically pointed to the tenants in that property and sort of inherently referred to them as being sort of quasi-short-term in nature, not long-term tenancies. So I uh, totally know that property and appreciate the color. Thank you, gentlemen. Yeah, sure. Thank you, Mike. Uh, there are no further questions in the queue. Okay. Okay, thanks, Carl. So I guess I'll say thank you to all of you for taking the time to participate. Peter, you may want to ask him just to wait another few seconds, oh. just in case. Okay, we can wait. A, Peter's suggesting we just wait a second, see if there are any other questions. Carl, maybe you can just remind people of, of the instruction to get their, their calls uh, in the queue, please. Certainly. As a reminder, folks, if you'd like to queue up to ask a question, please dial zero one. Okay. Well, uh, we actually do have some questions coming in. Okay. Okay. Hold on. Just uh, need to check something. We do have a question here from Brandon Abrams. Please go ahead, Brandon. Hi, good afternoon. Um, maybe just a question on capital allocation. Uh, clearly, uh, in the opening remarks, uh, management feels that the, uh, the units are undervalued. Um, I noticed the NCIB was implemented at the end of uh, or at the beginning of the quarter. Uh, what are some what are some of the thoughts around uh, the utilization of the NCIB, uh, given where the units are trading and uh, the current nine percent yield? Um, yeah, it's uh, pretty hard to find a nine percent yield out there. Uh, so obviously, we had to you know go through a process to pass our NCIB. So. Um, just uh, one, you know, deliberate. Oh, it's, 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 you know, uh, we did it uh, deliberately for um, the option to uh, evaluate that. Um, when I say us, it's uh, you know, it's the board, and 
in management uh, decision, you know, it's the board's decision, but, you know, management's going to weigh in and uh, the board's going to decide. So, I mean, uh, certainly there for, for us to exercise if we think it's the prudent thing to do. Right. Okay. Um, and maybe uh, in the MDNA, it mentions, um, you know, just the requirement to backfill some space on, on vacancy. vacancy. Uh, just wondering if there's a rule of thumb uh, maybe for us to use in terms of uh, the costs associated with uh, backfilling space in general, maybe on a per square foot basis. Well, certainly, you know, fraction of the cost of mall space, certainly office space. Uh, our space is really quite expensive to refit, but uh, really depends on who is in there and what we're putting in there. Um, we often will give a TI, what we call tenant improvement allowance, but again, it's nothing in the, you know, it's negligent. It's in the scheme of things compared to other sectors, it's, it's, it's quite small. Um, but the fit up the, the fit up costs. Um, Rudy, you want to give a range and take a shot at giving a range of what those can be? Yeah, I, I would say for a um, one of our traditional value oriented type tenant, it would be in the ten fifteen dollar range because it's already built space, previously used, previously fitted out. Um, you know, if it's a tenant that's going to change the use, like Mitch just mentioned. And let's say it's a lab, and we're going to we're going to put a lab in that's a national tenant, strong quality uh, covenant, and so on. And they may need a little bit more money for fit out. That number could end up being 15 to 20 to 25. But it's it's in that range. It's it's not a large number. Um, very typical of what we would do um, for tenants coming in. Yeah. Okay. No, that's uh, that's very helpful. And then last question before I turn it over. Um, just in terms of your retirement uh, projects, I noticed that the expected yield has remained pretty pretty constant at six to uh, seven and a half percent. I'm just wondering, you know, given some of the headwinds uh, the sector is facing right now, uh, both I guess on the on the revenue and the cost side, um, you know, if you're if you're looking at uh, maybe adjusting some of those pro forma uh, yield expectations. Yeah, I would say, yeah, yeah, not not yet, Brendan. I mean, I, we we are working closely with uh, Rivera and Group Selection, but um, with looking at that and any design changes that are being made to the buildings to accommodate any new things. But so far, it's not been a lot. I mean, Rivera was already building a pretty um, uh, a pretty uh, sophisticated building. Um, in terms of being ready for uh, COVID issues. So I don't think on that cost side it's going to, to uh, be uh, much impact. And then in terms of operating costs and revenues, again, they're not seeing a huge impact yet in their business, on, in, especially in newer homes, uh, which is obviously what these will be when we build them. So um, no, but we are working closely with them. And, um, and we will update it if there is anything necessary, but so far, nothing. Okay, that's helpful. I'll turn it over. Thanks. Thank you, Brandon. We have a question from Tal Woolley. Please go ahead, Tal. Hi, good afternoon, everybody. Hello. Hi. Hello. 
Um, just a, one of the things that, that um, I was wondering, as, through the process of going and talking with all of your tenants um, over the last quarter, have you heard any commentary from some of maybe the larger national ones just about the performance of suburban retail versus urban retail through this period and what they expect, um, you know, going forward? I, I spoke to one today. I mean, right now, I can't make a sweeping statement, but certainly somebody this morning was saying how, I guess, the downtown office buildings being pretty empty that, um, you know, that the retail, their retail in the core was uh, impacted most. And, you know, they've reopened and that it's coming back the slowest. Um, so, I mean, that is a basic, there's a narrative that's sort of going around, I guess. Um, and then malls, enclosed malls are also down substantially in terms of, um, in terms of sales over last year compared to the open, you know, unenclosed uh, units, which are generally the, what you would call the suburban um, units. So, um, but, you know, are people jumping to the conclusion that the end of, you know, downtown retail or downtown whatever? I mean, I don't know. There's certainly people have to fill, fill the, the spaces in the paper every day with something, and I know people, you know, just oscillate on different, you know, oscillate on that topic, but I think truthfully, I don't think anyone's jumping to conclusions, except for the fact that the unenclosed stuff is bounced, has bounced back very nicely, much easier to open, and uh, the customer is you know, less concerned and, you know, more inclined to shop with a direct access. Okay. Rudy, maybe, maybe you can eliminate, I don't know. Yeah, I've been hearing a little bit of that same sentiment. Um, with people staying at home and where they live, if you think about where they live, and they live in the suburbs, they travel to to urban areas, um, they're, they're shopping near their home. They're not getting far away. They're liking the experience because they're getting used to going to their favorite places to shop. And they've picked their one or two places. They're not you know, driving to five different grocers or different places, and they're finding that the small amount of um, potential, uh, you know, extra cost because they're using someone right at their doorstep versus going to three different places looking for a deal is worth the safe environment that they're in. So we're hearing, we're hearing some movement of um, lots more traffic happening because we're monitoring the traffic and our tenants reopening, lots more traffic happening in our open format. Um, lots more traffic happening in the suburbs um, to these locations, again, simply because uh, the, the change in sentiment where people um, feeling very comfortable about shopping near their homes and, again, going to the unenclosed format where they feel safer because they can look in the window and see the number of people in there and wait outside and so on versus you walk inside a mall, you're in that mall and you can't, you know, you have to leave the mall to to feel safe if you if you weren't feeling safe once you walked in. Yeah. For what it's worth, I was, uh, you know, out of the city and I was in a couple of your different properties that, and on the east side of town. And I, like, I was impressed by, like, the amount of traffic that was there versus what I've seen downtown myself. So um, I think there is something to it. Um, on the 
I, I just wanted to ask you about uh, the Smart Stop, uh, JV. You're you're up and running in lease side. How has the lease up been going on that asset? It's um, I mean, it is just open, and um, they really don't do any pre-leasing uh, yeah. to speak of, you know. And so, um, as you probably know, Tal, that's a pretty competitive area in terms of <laughs> yes, the numbers. Um, but it's something that our partner, Smart Stuff, is. We've talked about quite a bit there. Obviously, chose to go there. They're not concerned about it. Um, uh, but the lease up in our pro forma, I think, was either 36 or 48 months. We, we assumed it would take to lease that particular property up because of the competitive situation there. So uh, I don't know the actual percentage, but I suspect it's fairly small today. But that was expected. And so nothing unexpected is happening there in terms of lease up. And the, do you have the next, uh, I, I can't recall off the top of my head, do you have the next series of openings you expect under that, JV? Yeah, or I there's, there's, a, there's one in Vaughan that's under construction. I think it's the next one, or either, either that one or Brampton is the next one. Um, so those two are um, later this year. And, um, and Oshawa, and one in Oshawa South is also under construction. And then there's six others that are um, at various stages of municipal approvals. Actually, one in Scarborough is basically approved by the city, is approved by the city now. So uh, that one will be starting construction within a month or so. And are those all on uh, new sites or are they on existing smart centers properties? They, I'm going to say they are all, except for one, maybe all on existing um, smart centers properties. You know, okay. Making and good. Yep. Making yeah, and good you, use and of land. Good. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. And there, so the municipalities, because I know, I, I guess maybe in the urban centers, like it's a little bit harder to get the zoning to go your way, because um, mm -hmm. it's just they don't they don't like the employment factor. But um, in the suburbs, it's it hasn't been it, like it's not a it's not a real zoning issue to put self storage on your retail site. And, you know, I don't know whether you've seen the one in Leaside. I mean, they're not bad looking anyway. These are not the standard single story uh, orange um, storage wars, <laughs> storage wars yeah. kind of places. These are, you know, more attractive two, three, four, even five story buildings uh, with glass to them and so on. So they're not, they're not. Uh, bad-looking buildings, you know, so... They're not, they're uh, not the storage facility of your grandmother. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank you, Tal. Uh, there are no further questions in the queue. Okay. Well, we appreciate everybody's uh, time, and we know it was a busy day for you all. Um, and we, obviously, we encourage you, if you have any additional questions or uh, uh, as you read the, our material more carefully, we you know, encourage you to call anybody, uh, any of us that are on the call here today and, and talk to us. So thank you for all for taking the time, and uh, please stay safe. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the Smart Center's REITQ2 2020 conference call. Thank you for your participation. Have a nice day.
Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.